You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the last one from New Zealand now. And it's a comic who has a bigger profile in the UK now than back home in New Zealand. This guy is an absolute powerhouse of improvisation and creating an atmosphere. And as we'll find out, he's a real gut comic. This is Jared Christmas. So, Jared, thank you for coming on the show. Let's, for me. Yeah, I know, it's oddly formal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, let's get away from the formal as soon as we can by talking that. about what you were talking about the other night, about how annoyed you are that you haven't been getting the numbers you've expected. Um, yeah, but I, I think everyone gets annoyed by that sort of thing. You know, They do, and I don't mean to start this interview with like, so, if, if everyone's not heard of Jared Christmas, he's a massive loser who doesn't get numbers. Uh, <laughs> no, you... I, I, look, I'm, first of all, to get out of the way, I'm well aware of where I am. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and as a, uh, as a comedian, you want to build a career and all that sort of stuff. And my, my main goal is I want people to come and see me doing my show. Sure. So, um, well, let's, to, to be fair, to be fair to you, to be fair to yeah. the listener, let's set up where you are before we go into this. Because okay. to me, it's interesting because I know you as a successful comic. Yeah. So let's just paint that picture first then. So who are you? Where, how's it going at the moment? Whereabouts right. are you? Okay. So I think I'm in a bit of a state of flux Brilliant. at the moment. Great. As in, um, I am uh, a hugely passionate and love stand-up. And most of my... the extracurricular stuff I've done is because I, I like the sound of it it sounds interesting and it's uh, you know I know I'll enjoy it um, but also the flip side of that is I want to attract an audience to come and see me and so you know because I like I love playing the clubs love doing a don't, don't, don't get 20. me wrong love the clubs no yeah, I genuinely sure do the clubs, yeah, yeah, yeah. the clubs have made me absolutely made me but it's called a circuit for a reason. Do you know what I mean? It is just, it's a circuit. You can keep going round and round. And, you know, worst case scenario is that's, that's what I do. And that's not a bad thing, is it? Not. You know, because I love it. But you do get frustrated. Uh, that, especially comparing, holy shit. Do you know what I mean? You, you build up all this goodwill and warmth and then you just hand it off to someone else. Totally you know? know where you're coming from. And, yes. um, so with solo shows... I would rather play to 30 people who have chosen to come and see me than, you know, be on a line-up 
of you know playing to four hundred and they've come along and you just happen to be on. Do you know sure. what I mean? I totally get what you mean. I wonder if people listening to this might go, "Oh, come off it." But I, I know where you're. I know where you're coming from. It's not about the size of the the audience. Not anymore for me. Sure. Not anymore. Um, don't get me wrong. I would love four hundred and fifty people to come along just see me. Of course, I would love that. Um, but it just, it's. I, I feel it's more reward, rewarding um, to do an hour, hour and a half to people who have made the decision. We're gonna, we're gonna see this guy. We like this guy. There's something about him that we like, so we're gonna go and see him. And I always, and I've always sort of prided myself on being able to play any room uh, and create an atmosphere. Sort of, you know, give me a room, a 300 seat venue with 25 people in there, and I'll do my fucking damnedest to create an atmosphere because that's what I like doing. Do you know what I mean? I like uh, people walking away going, that was great. There should have been more people, but that was great. Yeah. Whereas I think, there's quite a defeatist mentality amongst a lot of comics who would be in a situation like that. Yes. And they'd take it out on the people who have shown up. That's not their fault. Sure. They've shown up. Sure, sure. To the people who haven't. I know, man. And I tell you what, this week, all this week, I've been having very low numbers and I'm talking, yeah. you know, 15. Yeah, yeah. In, in a 60-seater, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and I know that over here I don't have a profile. I've sure. not done the gala. I've not done TV. I, you know, I'm not doing yeah. another show in town. I can direct people here. Well, I've got a profile over here, Yeah, mate. yeah, and, man. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I just wanted to finish that thought. Yeah. I've been getting low numbers, but I understand why, and it's still hard. And I'm not taking it out on them. No. It's just still psychologically difficult to go, okay, I'm going to give it my all for 10 people. It chips away at you. It does. It chips away at you, and there's I... only so much you can take of that. Um, that's why uh, people walk away from festivals like Edinburgh like defeated. Do you mm. know what I mean? Because they could have a really great show, but if you're pumping it out to 10, 15 people... They can't give you back what you need. There's just physically not enough of them. And also, there's no escaping the fact that there's fuck all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can dress it up. You can put positive spins on it. You know, like, uh, I've got a couple of tricks I do of sort of going, uh, you know, like, if there's 20 people in there, you know, I'm like, oh, um, just let you know, uh, 150 people applied to come along to the show tonight. Sure. And the venue rang me and said, are yeah, you happy yeah. with that? And I said, no way, most of them are going to be dicks. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's vet them. Let's find the people who aren't dicks. And we got 20. That's a horrible statistic. But you guys Great. are the ones, do you know what I mean? And that, that tends to work, but sometimes it still doesn't work. Sure. They're still sitting there going, ugh. Yeah. And you are left inescapably with the idea that you can't, how do you get word of mouth going when there is only, only 20 know, mouths 20, to... 20, Ear, 40 ears yeah, yeah, <laughs> connected yeah. to 20 um, mouths to tell people I didn't get into comedy to do maths mate um, <laughs> but uh, it's, what it is is when it's small numbers it's uh, it, it's a harder effort from you the comic it's because you've got to tap into that well of mm. positivity that just keeps getting chipped away. It's like away. surfing, isn't it? If there's no tide, you've got to swim. You've, yeah. got to, you've got to thrash. Whereas what you want is to go, look at this wonderful yeah, wave yeah. that's coming in that yep. I will skillfully... And when you don't have that wave, that's when you say that weird shit in between bits. Do you know ah, what I mean? Yeah, I've been doing that all week. <laughs> you finish a bit and it, you should just move on. You should just move on to the next bit. But for some reason, we're so used to that little bit having a bit of a laugh there's a bit can... of a laugh trailing off that we yeah. use to go 
yeah. hard on to the next bit. To, to mentally that's click onto the next bit. But when you don't have that, that's when you get comments like, yeah, so uh, that happened. Um, I, is that your one? That's, is that, of, that's all I've got on that. Is that your fallback one? I had a conversation I, with uh, Josh Whittaker about yes. this, or with, with maybe with um, Kumar, Nish Kumar, yeah. about Josh. And about the fact that we were all we were sort of um, isolating our fallback sentences. Right. Mine is, and I'm so embarrassed about this. Mine is, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's it's verbal tick. It doesn't yeah, mean yeah. anything. It, yeah. All it means is, I was expecting noise here. Yeah. Fill in the space with noise, and yeah. on to the next thought. Yeah, yeah. that's so funny. Um, um, my one usually is. Uh, so that's all I've got on that topic. Yeah, I've heard you say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I've kind of developed a thing of sort of just going, yeah dealt with yeah yeah sure. that's months of the year dealt with yeah um but you know hopefully i never i don't have to say that but when there's low numbers that shit sort of yes. tends to come out it affects your momentum it yeah. affects your rhythm and you more than a lot of comics maybe are very connected to the momentum and the rhythm of the show i need it you need it you're need a, it. you're yeah you're it's funny i was thinking about you this morning you're you're an improviser yeah obviously in terms of background in terms sure. of ability yeah you're an incredible compare but I think the last time we gigged together was maybe in Colston Hall in Bristol. Right. For Steve Lance. It was like the comedy box had moved. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for a night. And and I was really blown away to to see and to remember, oh, my God, how many stories have you got? How many jokes have you got? How many, you know, they're all within... they're all within a sort of like the relationship is there. You, yeah. they're, they're not stories in isolation. They're stories which froth up out of the relationship yeah. you've made with the crowd. That's what you do. You're a live guy. Yeah, I am. And I play the room. Um, and that's why. I, I think that's a very quick way of saying everything I just tried to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, as in, I, I get frustrated when uh, you have to do try out, you know, like a, a TV company's like, oh, you know, we want to see your TV friendly 10 minutes. And you're in a club and you go on and something happens in the room and you're going, I'm like, I want to, I need to deal, I need to be in this room and deal with that. Mm. I can't just be spouting out. And whenever I do that, the gig, I hate it. And I, I don't think the gigs go that well mm. um, because I don't think I'm in the room. And that's hard to have that when you're doing stand up on TV. Sure. Because if you're in the room, it isolates, I think it isolates the viewer a bit. Uh, yeah, you can, see, you can see why they why that rule has arisen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some people get away with it, like Stuart Lee's DVDs. He tends to get away with it, but that's because he's putting the cameras sort of he's filming it in a different way. Yeah. But if you've got someone, he's in, just, he's in charge of it, isn't he? He's yeah. doing it that way as a specific yeah. choice, as opposed to following someone else's. In, yeah, in someone else who's you know gone. No, nope, camera goes here, camera goes here, camera goes here, mm. and we've got a roaming camera just to get people's reactions. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You can't, uh, you know, and then they, they go, beforehand you have to let them know who you're going to banter with. I'll, I'll yeah, banter right. with someone, <laughs> and then, oh, just so we can capture that. And you're like, oh, well, I understand all of that, but it may, that then makes it feel artificial. Sure. Um, so, uh, but yeah, low numbers hurts. Yeah. Yeah, that's why so, we started Yeah, on no, it is, it is. And we, you were saying that that's because you do have profile here. So you're, you're well, for, I people, did, for people I, that don't know you, did you start in New Zealand and yes. then work in Britain and get bigger yeah. in Britain? I, I what, think what was I've, the journey? Let, let's track it back to the beginning sure. and, and how you started. Um, but before we do that, I think, truthfully, I've got more of a profile in the UK. In the UK, I I, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Um, so I started in 98. I did my first uh, gig 
um, which was a, a friend of mine booked an improv night in a venue in Christchurch, and she realised that uh, you know she had to fill the whole night, and so she asked me to do stand up, and I'd never done it before. Um, she said, "Why don't you give it a go?" And um, I was kind of like, "Well, I wouldn't even know what to do." And she said, "Well, look, it's in a month's time, so just just watch as much stand up as possible, and I guess I guess just adapt their stuff." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Uh, who was um, this? Who was this woman to you? What? The, uh, she. I went to a sort of theatre course with her. I understand. Um, her name was Anna, and she she was more on the. Uh, producing site as in she wanted to put shows on and stuff like okay. that so she was always putting something on okay um and i was doing a lot of improv with a group called the court jesters um and we were doing like uh late night friday night shows in a theater and they were amazing and that's where i got all my performance stuff from mm. like stuff that i still hold true to what i do um you know, we've, we've had this conversation before haven't we about how you your, you could have been a street performer. Yeah, I almost yeah, that and I'm way. I'm I'm going to bend. I've got a new rule now that I'm not going to refer to street performers on the okay. show because they always give me shit about yeah, it. Yeah, but this enough. is a specific thing we're talking I, about. I almost went that way um, because in Christchurch they got the Baskers Festival. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I was just looking for outlets to perform. Yeah. that's what I was after. Um, I wanted to be an actor, but what I was doing about that was thinking I'll just walk down the street one day and someone will see me and go, "Hey, we need that guy in our movie." And that was the extent of, uh, and then when I discovered improv and discovered stand up, it was like, whoa, yeah, I'm like the writer, the performer, the director. This is this is every, I'm my own boss. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is what I like. Um, so she put on this uh, this improv night that I was doing the improv, and she said about the stand up. Um, and at the time, we were they had really awful American stand up on late at night like Ray's Chuckle Hut you know and everyone's in a suit jacket uh, you know with shoulder pads do you remember any names? no I don't remember any names I know the sort of thing it it would be like uh, Live at Jonglers sort of thing Um, and like really bad stuff Um, and so the first set I ever did I so you mean in the sense of it was like commercial comedy a, a, it, like it a commercial me, comedy set but yeah. like shot in the venue and yeah. for exactly that problem we're talking about it doesn't yeah. transmit well and also looking back on it I think that was the type of stuff that led towards the collapse of the American live stand-up circuit okay. because there was just so much of of that sort of vanilla People start. Comedy. What do you mean? Like the audiences started to. There was always a cliche of what stand up is. That whole. It was a total. Guys drive yeah. like this. Black guys yeah. drive like this. That yeah. thing. Everyone went. We know what that is now. We don't yeah. need to go and see it. I don't. I don't remember anything that struck me as inventive. Do you know what sure. I mean? And I. I was watching it, treating it like a project. Like I. Yeah. Yeah. To, right. Okay. Had to do it. Whereas I would have rather sat down and just watched Whose Line Is It Anyway. Sure. Or Eddie Murphy Roar and Delirious. Mm-hmm. Continuously. Mm-hmm. Um. I remember when I first watched those. I didn't know they were stand. I just thought it was a, it was a, like oh, that's a really funny monologue. Yeah, do you know okay. what I mean? I didn't see it as I knew the term stand up, but I wasn't aware. Do you know it was weird? Um, because New Zealand in the nineties, there really wasn't much going on. So uh, certainly live wise, I wasn't exposed to it. So where I got it all was improv and the Buskers Festival, um, and the court jesters, a big thing 
throughout that group was whenever you're on stage, happy but humble. Mm-hmm. Happier but humble. Mm-hmm. Don't go on there all arrogant and shit like that. No. And also, uh, the, the, st- the theatre is your home mm-hmm. and you've welcomed the audience in. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So don't be a dick to them, mm-hmm. essentially. And if you ever get anyone up on stage, they're the hero. You make them the hero. Yes. You don't yes. get them up to make you look good. Yes. You make them look good. So these are principles that I've that that my whole comedy has been sort of built on, and that's mm-hmm. that's I guess why I'm I try and keep things positive on stage and whatever. Um, so the first stand up set that I ever did. How did it go? It went really well. Did you write material? Or did no, you go, you, no, 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 you no. went out and winged the whole thing. How no, long? I didn't wing it. Fuck no. Um, I was scared shitless. Scared shitless. Um, uh, and I had got, been going on stage for years doing improv. With no material. With no with material. Nothing. But when it came to just being up there by myself. And I've done improv games where you have to be on stage by yourself. Yeah. But there's still the knowledge that your mates are, are there if shit starts going south. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, but with the stand-up, the, I knew... No, mate, it's just... So I did a... Um, it's, it's funny, the, the amount of times most comics, or a lot of comics these days, bemoan the kind of, oh, God, everyone's doing it these days. Yeah. I'm frequently saying, oh, the cat's out of the bag now, everyone knows it's not that scary. It is still terrifying. Yeah. And I think it is still... Do you know what I mean? That even when, when, when you and I, both yeah. professionals, one sort yeah, or yeah. another, think back to that moment... It's terrifying, isn't it? It really is. And, I mean, it's not terrifying now, but I still get nervous. Of course. And I think if I don't get nervous, I think I'll, I'll probably have to quit. Because mm-hmm. then I, I, I think I would have lost something. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't care how good you are, it's a different audience every night. Mm-hmm. There's In stand-up, you can control a lot of things. Your material, your performance, what you're going to do. The one thing you can't control is the random elements in the audience. And that is where the nerves should... You, there should always be an element of you going, fuck, I don't know how this is going to go. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then when you're on stage, you can't have that fear. Because I don't think anything creative ever comes out of a place of fear. Because you're too worried about surviving. Yes. And that's why um, years ago I stopped playing... Uh, the Jonglers mm-hmm. gigs, um, you know, they treated comics badly when okay. they were massive. Okay. Um, and there were a couple of instances where I got treated badly and uh, they used their sort of muscle. Um, and I, uh, I thought as soon as I don't, as soon as I can play enough clubs that I don't need Jonglers, I'm out. Uh, which, you know... Fine, there were other people making more of a stand, sort of going, I'm just not playing them. I could do with the money, but I'm not playing with them. And that's a, that's a better stand to take. But, you know, I had a wife, so, you know, we're you know, building a future together. So I was mm-hmm. kind of like, no, 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 I want to get to a point. And then I'm not going to burn my bridges with them. You know, uh, some of their gigs, uh, when they had them, were, were fantastic clubs. And it was all down to the people running them, you know. They were great gigs. But uh, I just felt... Um, when I was doing some of those gigs, I just wanted to survive. I just yeah. wanted to get yeah. through my time. Whatever it took to get through my time. 
So this is Jared. Uh, we've got more great stuff coming up from him, including his own uh, three C's of comedy and uh, and that flux that Jared mentioned earlier on, where he is at the moment. Some really invigorating stuff on when he tried in the past to inject some heartfelt material into an Edinburgh show and how that went. Uh, and also we'll be covering fake mistakes and how to cheat when you're acting in a sitcom. All of that stuff coming up. Thank you, as ever, for your donations. It's comedianscomedian.com. If you'd like to donate and support the show, just pick a figure, uh, click on the PayPal button there, and uh, donate whatever you like. A pound a show seems fair to me, uh, but equally, if you f- are finding this stuff useful to your work or what you want your work to be, or indeed your life, uh, then I like that you're finding it useful. So whatever you, whatever donation you think is appropriate would be very kind indeed. Uh, and a special mention here to Gary Jackets, who's the promoter of the brilliant Joker Comedy Club in Southend-on-Sea in Essex. Um, James Acaster and I were doing some uh, previews over the weekend in his wonderful club, uh, and he told me, thanks to everyone that came to those, by the way, we were both really happy with the results. We're getting very excited now about Edinburgh. Um, James's show is terrific. I'm very, very happy and pleased with where I'm at at the moment. Um, but yes, uh, Gary told me he'd listened to 12 hours of this show in a row, which sounds like just so much talk from an Essex geezer, until I found out that he did that whilst running an ultra marathon which is a thing I didn't even know about before. Apparently that's three marathons in a row, uphill, whilst on fire. Uh, well done, Gary. Uh, maybe if you're not able to donate at the minute and you'd like to help the show out by recommending it to a friend, then seeking out an ultramarathon runner and telling them about it might not be a bad idea. I do like the idea of accompanying someone during something quite so challenging. Maybe they could take a sip of something isotonic whenever I mention street shows. But if you're accustomed to listening to this show whilst slogging your guts out doing something noble, do email me, info at comedianscomedian.com or tweet me at comcompod and let me know. Similarly, if you normally like to enjoy the show in a hot bath or whilst oiling your sweetbreads, I don't know, but it'd be nice to find the least noble listening practices too. Would it be nice? Would it be terrible? Uh, right, a few previews still to come and I'm going to mention some non-London gigs as well. Um, I'm going to be at Glastonbury Festival. I'm emceeing the cabaret tent at lunchtime on Friday and I'm doing a set in the cabaret tent at 6pm on Saturday. So come by and say hello if you're at Glastow. I'm also going to be at the Comedy Store Manchester this coming weekend. Lovely line up there. Um, and at Manford's Comedy Club in Manchester on the 3rd of July and Manford's again in Huddersfield on the 5th of July. Those are my first gigs for Jason Manford's very exciting new business venture that we didn't actually know about when I interviewed him last summer. Um, so that's all new. Looking forward to those. Uh, the 5th of July at 4pm, it's an afternoon gig. I will be at Adams Grammar School in Newport in Shropshire doing a preview of my Edinburgh show Extra Life. And on the 6th, I'll be at ARG Festival back in London, argcomfest.com for all information on that. Loads of previews going on there. And do feel free to do the maths on that weekend's travel um, from the 3rd to the 6th. And if you're not a comic, why not breathe a sigh of relief? 10th of July, I'm in Narbeth at the comedy club there. And if you missed the South End gig at the weekend just gone, I'm previewing at Lily Lascala's let's say, conservatoire, uh, on the 22nd of July in Lee-on-Sea. That's what I'm doing. Plus, of course, interviewing Arma Rahman, who's at Soho this coming week. Don't miss that. And in a fortnight, I'm bloody well interviewing Andy Zaltzman. Well done to those of you who guessed on the Facebook page. He is in the top five or so comics I get asked to interview by you lot. Um, the other four, of course, are Kitson. So that'll be nice. Uh, questions for Andy to me at ComComPod or on the email info at comedianscomedian.com. Um, and just before we go back to Jared... Uh, something obviously horrible happened this week. Rick Mayle passed away um, and I was very... I've never cried at the death of a celebrity before. I remember Adam Bloom on this show talking about how when um, when Ad Rock died from um, from the Beastie Boys, he actually felt far more connected to him, to someone he'd never met, than he expected to. I was really 
gutted to hear about Rick Mayle's death. I've never met him um, and I'd never been lucky enough to work with him. But I actually found myself welling up because he was such a fundamental part of what I understand comedy to be. I've been in two double acts in my life, The Unknown Stuntmen on the Street and Kiosk of Champions, a sketch show with Richard Sandling. And um, and both of those double acts were very much informed by the work that Rick Mayle and Adrian Edmondson did. Uh, getting a, a cassette copy of a pirate copy of Bad News when I was about twelve at school was uh, that was the the kind of uh, the comic strips the heavy metal band project. Um, it was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard, and I just wanted to say. Actually, it's very encouraging when people die and Facebook goes mental over the deaths of people. I felt very proud to be part of a community of my friends on Facebook, lots of comedians, obviously, and comedy fans, um, where the ratio of people. Uh, paying tribute to someone they thought was brilliant and really respected, if even if they hadn't known him, known him. Um, the ratio of those posts to God, why is everyone banging on about Rick Mail posts was fantastically high. It was like a thousand to one. Um, so far more people caring and saying nice things about someone they really loved and respected than whiny twats banging on about mm, why is everyone going on about it? it's so sincere. Um, that made me very happy. Um, so. And Rick Mayle's work made me very happy, so I never met him or worked with him, but um, I hope he is sticking his dick in God's eye somewhere. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's all I wanted to say about that. Now, let's get back to Mr Jared Christmas. For someone that hasn't been to a big kind of commercial weekend club like that, or, yeah. or a jongler specifically, why is it more about survival there than it would be at another weekend club that you that sure. you still enjoy playing. Well, back then, you know, they targeted Hindus, stag dudes, office parties. So you'd have these big groups uh, where maybe one person had the idea to go to comedy and everyone else was just dragged along. So you were constantly fighting to get attention. And then um, I found myself doing material that... I would be embarrassed to do anywhere else other than there. Not embarrassed. You mean in terms of like... I was doing Hindu, stag do sort of jokes. Dick jokes. To, to get... No, no, I'm a big fan of dick jokes. Okay. I think there's absolutely a place for dick jokes in everyone's set. Um, I am not ashamed of dick jokes. I think dick jokes are fucking great. So Especially what... if it's a decent... Sure, lazy dick jokes are bad. Just like lazy jokes about cats and dogs are bad. But if you find a great angle on cats and dogs, then fucking go for it. If you find a great angle on dick gags, so So define then what kind of material it was it that you were ashamed of? Um, I was doing things about... Uh, there was one specific bit that used to go really well um, of saying uh, Hindus always have the tiny willies on their head, the Denny Bopper mm. willies... And stuff, but you never see a stag do walking around with little vaginas on their head, and that's because you know a willy you can identify that straight away. A vagina, you know, a stag party's going to walk, and everyone's like, "Why have you got a kebab on your head? What do you, do you know what I mean?" And that's just, it's disgusting. Um, but I did it in that whatever. And then my my agent at the time, a fantastic man called uh, Joe King. Oh, I know Joe. Yeah. Uh, oh, he was, was a lovely guy, Joe. I've it, not seen him in years. He was lovely, and he was a comedy fan. Yeah. Uh, he used to drive me and Greg Davis to our gigs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And Alan, Alan Cochran was with yeah, him as well. Cochran That's when I first met Joe. Yeah, Mickey Flanagan guy. was with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Smith was with him. Mm-hmm. With him. 
uh, Andrew Bird. You know, he had a fucking he had an eye, mm. but he loved live comedy, and he retired because he got to a point where he realised a couple of us were needing were getting sort of TV stuff, uh, and he he didn't like dealing with with that sort of thing, and realised mm. he just realised he would be holding us back. He uh, came along to a gig I did it at Jonglers back in the time. Um, and I don't know what their gig's like now, because I, I don't play them. And uh, there's fantastic comics who do play them. And I'm not against anyone playing anywhere. You know, as I said earlier, I'm up for anywhere where I can perform. Uh, it was just my personal choice. And uh, I walked off stage, at, and Joe said to me, did you enjoy that? I went, uh... Yeah, yeah, kind of. And he went, D- are you happy with what you did there? I was like, yeah, I got laughs. And he went, yeah, but are you, are you happy with what you did? And I went, oh, you know what these gigs are like, Joe, you know, you just got to get through them. And then he said, uh, and yeah, he said this. Um, he said, uh, bring your product to the environment. Don't become a product of the environment. That's nice. And that's exactly what was happening. Yes. Yeah. So he said, let's make the decision. We'll, we'll cut your Jonglers gigs down, shall we? And I went, yep, okay, fine. And, you know, Jonglers gets a bad name, but they did great stuff for yeah. for putting the putting the word of comedy out there. Mm-hmm. But there was there was too much work. We all knew that. Do you know what I mean? There were times, you know, this was... Weren't you, what are we talking? Can you put a when, year on this, roughly? I am going to say... I got to the UK in 2000, uh, and then uh, I was only on the open mic circuit for about a year, quit my day job after about a year, so it was, it was kind of the start of 2002 that I was just living off comedy, mm. um, and there was heaps of work, heaps, not just Jeff Whiting level thing, because mm. that's the level I was at. Um, and you know I am I'll be eternally grateful to Jeff Whiting mm. because he he allowed me to quit my day job do you yeah. know what I mean he yeah. Merth Control fulfills that function yeah. for an awful and lot of people it's yeah. a it's a great training ground mm-hmm. you know you, sometimes you're playing god awful rooms but you've got to play god awful rooms to become good at playing the good rooms do you yeah. know what I mean uh, and what a great place to learn you know doing Hollywell and Wales <laughs> or something like that you know to yep. to 30 drunk Welsh people you know, what a great, great way to learn, you know, because make your mistakes there. That's what you make do. Make your mistakes there and then drive the headliner home while he explains yeah. what mistakes you made. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky, you'll get that. Um, if you're unlucky, the headliner will put on headphones and fall asleep. Happens to um, me as well. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about who that was after this. <laughs> um, so I think from 2002, and it was probably for longer, but from my experience, 2002... Till roughly about 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, when did Jonglers go under? Was it 2011? I don't know. That I mean, did they go under ever? No, but all the you know their chain. The stuff. Were yeah. their chain? Sure, sure. Unlinked. Yes. When oh, when highlight existed as well. That what well, was that? No, no. When it was just Jonglers, and then from the ashes of Jonglers rose yeah. the mighty phoenix of. Highlight and, and Jonglers. Jonglers. Yes. Which are now back in bed together. I believe so. I don't understand. I think it was around about 2011. So for those years, 2002, 2011, there was so much work. So there was too much work. Um, so there were a lot of 
uh, average comics who weren't needing to push themselves or anything like that. And I think it's healthy that the circuit's compacted because everyone's having to up their game now. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. everyone, everyone's having to hustle a bit harder for work. So that means it's getting to a point where you've got to be good. If you're good, you'll get work. That's bottom line. It's meritocracy on the circuit. If you're good, you'll get work. And I think the compaction of the circuit has been as healthy for the circuit in the long run. And it's heartbreaking because I know a lot of people who are really affected by it, and I've been affected by it, and it's been hard. Um, But in the long run, I think it's probably going to be healthy because only the people whose hearts are in it are going to stick with it, aren't they? Do you think? Have I crossed a line? I, no, not at all, not at all. I, uh, I hear both sides of this argument. I don't know where I come down on it. I mean, if it keeps going like this, is that healthy in the long well, run? Well, no, it can't more keep more compacting, but I think it's going to well, get... Well, can't it? Well, until it's just one club in the country. Yeah, people I aren't going to see comedy anymore, and it's all available no. on telly, and they don't risk no. their money. In the UK, if people like going but, or, out. Or, maybe, or may, yeah, maybe they do like going out, but maybe maybe the other thing happens, people keep starting to do stand-up comedy and supply is far bigger than demand. Yeah. And it, maybe that doesn't have an effect whereby it sort of, uh, it strips, you know, it strips down so only the strong survive. Right. Maybe it goes under. Yeah, maybe it collapses under its own weight. Yeah. I mean, that's, no. isn't that what happened in New York, that now everywhere's paid to play and, you know, you can only get money if you're a headliner and... The money's dependent on how many people you can get in through the door, so only TV is that, comics... Is that the same with the, the clubs? Uh, I thought the clubs were still... Like I'm, I'm saying that, that is a potential... Yeah, sure, with Caroline's. You know, you yeah. get like a... You, as I understand it, I've only been there yeah. once, but you get a, an MC, who's basically an opening act, yeah, yeah. that doesn't get paid very much, like, you know, yeah. 20 bucks. Brilliant. And then you get a middle act that gets 50 bucks, yeah, and yeah. then you get Louis C.K. or whoever else, you know, yeah, okay. somebody who's bringing... You know, that could conceivably happen here. You know, if you do open spots, that, that's why they have all the bringer shows, don't they, in New York? Yeah, I know. You do an open spot, you're going to bring 15 bring people, people with you, two yeah, drink minimums, and the rest of it. It is horrible. Okay. Yeah. And can you not see that happening here? Because um, people are, I believe, um, Sean Brightman's club, We Love Comedy, they've started doing a, a free comedy night. And it's not, and what they're doing for is, a, what they're going for is a different angle, as I understand it, to simply, this is free, it might be shit. They're going, this is a really good comedy club, but we're going to do donations because that's the way to survive in the marketplace. And a lot of people on the, a lot of experienced comics on Facebook are going, this is bullshit, the whole thing's going to fall apart. I really don't know what, I don't know who's right. I don't know who's right. Um, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you shore that up? I mean, I, I like what Jason Manford's attempting to do. Yes. Um, I think that's a hugely uh, honourable sort of thing, especially because he doesn't people need haven't to be heard about it. this. This is, he started his own chain of uh, yeah, comedy Manford's. Clubs. Yeah. And they're and, comedy and he, nights, aren't they? Yeah. He isn't, they're not purpose-built clubs or anything. No. He's going into venues, he's making sure the venues are decent, that there's and decent aspires, sound and lighting. I believe he aspires to, to creating some sort of kite mark. Of yeah. quality, yeah. So that you know, so it does effectively what we're saying of going the strong survive. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the, the acts who are worth, you know. Yeah, and he, I think he's got quite a few up mm-hmm. and running already. So, yeah. you know, that's that's really good. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit depressing to think that it could all just shrink away. 
you came in here very buoyed up and I said, oh, do you think it can survive? And I've driven it into the... <laughs> I depressed you. Yeah. Let's get back. I've folded my arms and everything. Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah, very well. You lasted 30 minutes and I've convinced you oh, it's all going to it's all gonna. It's all going tits up. Um, I don't think... But I remember when I first got over here, comics were saying, no, the bubble's going to pop. Bubbles pop, mate. Bubbles pop. Were they really? Yes. Were they? Okay. Yeah. That's and I can never. That'll be good I to hear for all the that. people listening to this on their way to gigs for twenty and thirty quid who are yeah, hearing yeah. you go. Oh, there was too much work back then. <laughs> It'll be nice to hear. No, but I, I mean, you know, when I said there's too much work, there was, you know, I did loads of gigs. I remember doing Plymouth for Jeff Whiting, where I. My train, my fee covered my train fare, and I got um, I got accommodation with it, uh, and uh, I did the gig, and the gig went really, really well, and the guy running it uh, said to me, um, "That was great. I want to give you a little bit of a bonus, mm. which is unheard of." Mm. I was like, "Oh, awesome!" And he slipped me five pounds, right? <laughs> So I got. Did he tuck it into your pants? No, he, he palmed it to me. Nice. Like I was going to be getting like a twenty or thirty yeah, quid. Yeah, sort yeah. Of five pounds, and I remember going, "Oh, fucking five pounds!" But then realised, "Oh, I can eat tonight." Yeah, right. Awesome. <laughs> you know, um, and I remember going to bloody Hereford on the National Express and uh, and having enough to buy. No, I did. And then the next day, I was going on to Liverpool, and I was faced with a whole day in Liverpool. And I had no money. And Steve Williams, I rung Steve Williams. And um, I said to him, I've got no money. What am I going to do? I mean, it's, you know, it was like 10 in the morning. And the gig wasn't until 8.30 at night. And then I was getting a ride home with one of the other comics. Um, and uh, he said, have you got any money in your account? I said, I've, like, I've got a pound, two pounds. And he said, go into the supermarket. Because it was a Saturday, I think. Yeah, go into the supermarket and buy loads of food to see you through and uh, get cash back um, because it was back when you just signed for it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't get processed till the Monday. So, and he said, because you're getting paid tonight and you'll be able to put the money in on Monday. And so that was how I survived, just going and doing that. And I think I bought, no, I know what I bought. I bought a massive packet of croissants. <laughs> ate, that, ate them all day. Bear grills, dry top croissants. Tip. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, so you know, if you are on your way to do a thirty-pound gig out there, um, I hope it goes well. Uh, <laughs> but you know, thirty pounds is still thirty pounds, isn't it? <laughs> Concerned about this as a lifestyle when you were thinking about wanting to be no. a comedian when you were younger, no. did it ever concern you? Did it attract? Were you attracted to it? Did you go, ah, oh, I'm going to have a sort of vagabond, roguish? No, my, sort of thing? my main one of my main motivations was I didn't want to get up early in the morning to go to a job, and so you know I I flew to the UK when I was twenty to do stand up because um, I did it here for for two years. So I guess. To finish the, um, the origin that, story. The origin story. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I had really good gigs to start off with. I think, um, yeah, I had really good gigs to start off with. I genuinely did. Um, Why? I think naivety and enthusiasm was just really pushing me through a lot. And then I got really cocky. And it all came terribly crashing down. 
like horribly. Like at a, spe- a specific moment that it all went wrong? Yeah, um, I was walking to do this open mic. I was doing a weekly open mic night. Um, and I was just going every week doing this. And uh, I got really super arrogant because my first, I'd say easily first six or seven yeah. gigs just went really well. And I just thought, well, this is easy. Yeah. And I can be, remember walking to this venue called The Green Room in Christchurch. Um, and The Green Room is where loads of New Zealand comics started. Uh, Reese Darby started there. Chris Brain started there. Uh, Grant Lobin. Uh, Juzzy, um loads there's loads who started in this venue and it was run by two eccentric American women um, one of them who was a stand up herself and the other one was just some you know trustafarian sort of you know just loads of money so these were all these were all in, in New Zealand still we're talking about your yeah early, yeah this is, this is all, yeah yeah you um, came a cropper it stopped, big time. stopped working uh, well, I was walking to the gig, and uh, I this such a vivid memory. I was walking across some grass that had a sign that said "Keep off the grass," mm-hmm. and I thought, "I'm going to talk about that. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. Keep off the grass sign." And I'm walking across the grass. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? And I thought, "I'll just I'm just going to riff on that. I'm just going to improvise on that." Okay. Because I'm that good. Okay. And. Oh my god! It was really, really embarrassing. Friends had come along that night, and it was the okay. first time they'd seen me. Okay. A drama tutor had come along. It was the first time he had seen me doing, and shoot, just stunk the room out, and you know, it was almost in tears when I. It's got funny. Stage. I think if I think of people who've done improv mm. as being able to kind of get themselves out of any situation because that's no, what you're, that's what watching improv is. Once, isn't it? like, boom, 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 yeah, but know. once the stinks in the room, mate. You can't yeah, shake okay. that off. You can't shake that off. Um, you know, and I, I started going into, you know, I realised too late. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the ship was sinking and I my material established stuff that was working was tiny teacups. So I was trying to bail out with that, but it was just too little too late. Um, and it, it was horrible. And I remember walking off stage, walking through that audience, couldn't, couldn't make eye contact with anyone, uh, didn't speak to anyone, just went straight outside got in my mum's car, drove home, and just was like, oh, I can't do this now. I can't do this. But then the next day was like, oh, no, it was because, yeah, it was because you thought you were good and you're not. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And then I coined a phrase for myself, the three C's of comedy. Go on. Um, don't get cocky with comedy. Don't get complacent with comedy. And don't care about comedy. Because at the end of the day, it's just some laughs. And when I say don't care, okay. I mean, don't care if you die on your ass in Portsmouth sure that's not it's not going to be the end of your career did you manage to stick to those rules yeah pretty much okay I'd like that's to quite that's quite a feat of mental strength you've designed a kind of a path for yourself yeah, and then followed because it. I realised that's why and I but that didn't fix me that oh man my I struggled at gigs for like the following two or three months probably and I was really having to go through that trial by fire of going no but I want that I want to get what I had, I yes. want that back, yes. and that's what. So, what what are the key differences between what you do now and what you were doing back then? Well, back then it was there was no I. It was Ben Norris um, who pointed this out. Uh, so, I did the New Zealand Comedy Festival in '99, and I entered the Raw New Act competition, and I got through to the finals, and 
Uh, I'd been, I smoked it in the heats, in the semis, just smoked it. And then in the finals, thought I had a really good gig. And, uh, but I came second. And this guy called Dodge won. Okay. Um, who, I don't know what he's doing now. But sure. he, what I remember of him was he was super, super relaxed on stage. And, you know, was just tossing offhand jokes at people mm. in the audience and just really, mm. just super relaxed. Like, looked like he belonged up there. Um, whereas I did this big performance piece. I could do a backflip off a chair. So I thought, I've got to put that in my stand-up. Oh my so God. I built okay. a routine yeah, up yeah, yeah. that finished with me doing a backflip off a chair, which most of the time people were like, wow! It wasn't funny. You know, maybe a little bit funny building up to it, but it was mainly just do a backflip off a chair. Anyway, so I come second, and I was devastated. And uh, I spoke to Ben Norris afterwards, who was one of the judges. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, um, it's like you're doing a monologue. It's like you could do that even if the audience wasn't there. And I said, well, yeah. And he went, this isn't acting. So you, you don't want that wall. So you need to interact with the audience. And so I took that information on board and uh, then realised, yeah, I've been interacting with audiences my entire fucking life. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't been but using why it. why don't I try using that thing yeah. I can do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, As opposed to that backflip I can do. Yeah, Maybe that's exactly. What I want. And I tell yeah. you, the only time the backflip work, worked was when I almost smashed my face on the ground because I was standing on a rickety chair and a chair just left from underneath me and almost smashed my face. And the whole place went really quiet. And then I just stood up and went, and then I spent three weeks in hospital. Yeah. And they went ballistic. Yeah, okay. okay. And a friend of mine uh, was at that gig and I saw her in Wellington last week and she still talks about <laughs> that because she'd seen me doing the backflip normally. Yeah. And she said, that was, oh, that was so hilarious. And, and that's when I started realising, I yeah, it's not about showing off. It's not about... Look, you know, it, it's comedy, you know. You've got to all, always undermine anything that... If you can do a backflip on stage, fuck it up, because that's funnier. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's a hell of yeah. a bumper sticker. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> that's good. That's, uh, yeah. that's a lovely uh, idea. So, your, do you have any pretensions to anything other than just making them laugh? Um... And I don't mean the word pretensions in a... In no, a no, 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 I know exactly what you mean. I, and this is why I think I'm in a bit of a f state of flux at the moment is because I want to have a bit more meaning to what I say, but ultimately, I'm playing comedy clubs, mate, you know? Not interesting clubs. You don't get paid to play interesting <laughs> clubs. Um, so... Yeah, it's uh, not interest business, is it? Does it work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 and this, so is why, this is where I come fucking get really pissed off with in Edinburgh and stuff like that is um, you know shows get reviewed saying yes it was funny but I didn't learn it I didn't and I I struggle with that going what but if you're going to see a comic why do you need to like you watch Louis C.K. for an hour you don't come away knowing a huge amount about him but you know you've just fucking laughed all the way through right yeah yeah um, I mean, he does reveal a lot about himself. Well, he does, doesn't he? But he I doesn't think... have a, an overriding fucking story arc or theme, and he doesn't fucking cry at the end. Do you know sure. what I mean? It's um, it's just wall-to-wall -wall funny. 
you know. And but do you think do you think when you do your stuff that it's wall to wall funny or as close as I mean, obviously you're, you're very funny. as much as I want a whole shitload of jokes in there. Yeah, as much as I can get in there. Yeah, sure. So, and you feel like that isn't enough for the critics. That isn't enough for the critical reception of the show. You feel like there's sometimes it's else, not. There's something else that yeah. they want. Yeah, but then in saying that, you should always just do what you do. Mm. And, and you know, whatever happens will happen. You shouldn't... It's that whole, don't become a product of the environment. You know, as soon as you got... 2007, I took a show up to Edinburgh that I tried to have a deeper, meaningful moment. What was that? What was the it was show? the Hero Show. Okay. Um, tried to have it... I did tell a story that meant a lot to me, but... You know, I put it in there for a deeper meaning. Do you know what I mean? And I, I uh, had this whole f- fucking story arc going through, and I had a horrible time. And it was because that's not what I do. That's not what I do. So, did you get the reviews? Did it work? Did anyone come away going? No, I got like. Hey, turns out Jerry Christmas is actually deep and meaningful. No, of course not. You know, I got a, a spate of sort of three star sort of reviews, but no one mentioned the heartfelt sort of bit um, and uh, you know and then I started feeling trapped in it and you know certainly near the end of the month as I was coming up to that bit in the show I was like oh here we fucking go <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean and instead of just dropping it I just had this perception that no because this is what I said in my publicity this is what I have to stick to this and you don't man you absolutely don't and it's taken me too long to realise that. And now I treat my hours like, uh, you know, the the vibe I give out when I'm comparing. Do you know what I mean? Just relaxed and loose and whatever comes up, fucking comes up. Um, this year, the show's a bit more, not structured, but it is... Last year, I was really loose. I was doing a Q&A thing, which a lot of people have done, but I was doing it as an exercise to prove... to to train myself and to improvise into material. So yes. I'd get the audience to ask me questions. Yes. Um, but that's hard on the audience if you just go, ask me a question. You know, it's too fucking, mm-hmm. it's too big and they're mm-hmm. not expecting that. And how many times have you seen someone say, ask me a question, so when I ask them a question, they've got nothing on it. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't want to do that. And quite often that's a bit of a stock line anyway. Any yeah. questions. Yeah, sure. Get to laugh, yeah. move on. Whereas I like, no, 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 seriously. Any, any fucking questions, mm-hmm. anything and I'll deal with it. Um, so what I started doing was I would banter with someone in the front row, ask them three questions mm-hmm. and roll with whatever they say and then I would go, look, I've asked you three okay, questions. yeah, sure. Here's your chance for revenge. Ask sure. me a question. And, uh, and that was just an easier way to relax them into doing the Q&A sort of thing. And what sort of size rooms are we talking? What kind of capacity rooms are you playing at um, festivals? Yeah, like 200 seater sort of things. Okay. And, um, you know, and, and some selling, nights... Just going back to where we started this conversation, yeah. selling them well. Yeah, last so year you... sold them really well. Great. Really well. Um, you know, I had a couple of nights that were low, uh, but, you know, my sort of Thursday, Friday, Saturdays were were sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then maybe my Tuesday, Wednesdays, Tuesday, for some reason, always does well because I think it's the opening night down here. But it's that fucking Wednesday. Mm-hmm. The grinder. Um, but anyway, so I, uh, I, I knew that whatever question came to me, I could, if I couldn't improvise something funny, 
And what I would do is if I improvised something and got a laugh, I'd move on. I wouldn't linger on it. Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? I'd okay. get it. It's, I, I mean, I'd finish it. I'd finish the thought. But if it got a laugh, I would just move on. Because that's where it falls down. Do you know what I mean? You get that laugh and then you're improvising and hunting for that second laugh and that might not come. Mm-hmm. So, there, and if I couldn't improvise something on it, I could definitely improvise my way into established material that I could relate to that. Do you know what I mean? And so yes. that was my exercise. Okay, yeah. well, let's talk about funny then. What is it that, what do you think makes funny? What is it? What are the things when you're improvising or when you're writing a story? And, and do you actually, with your stories, do they grow, I sort of assume with you that they grow in the, in the retelling? Do you ever yes, sit down? Yes, they grow write? in the retelling. Um, I sit down and write them. Um, once they exist. Once they exist, yeah. yeah. gotcha. I, okay. I sit down and I, I write them to try and find other bit, you know, something else that can tumble off sure. from an idea because I want to tell my whole thing is stories peppered with jokes Yeah, and like the ultimate person of that is Tommy Tiernan and he was I supported him a couple of years back and that was a fucking education and it was amazing and he is by far my favourite favourite comic by a long shot you know and I didn't really know of Tommy Tiernan that much but yeah, of course I knew of him, but I hadn't really seen him until um, a couple of years back. And was like, holy shit, that's amazing. And then supporting him. Um, and so, yeah, it's and his stories are just fucking chocker with jokes. But they're not even jokes, are they? They're, they're, they're just his way. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so that's what my goal has been, is storytelling, but loaded with jokes within the story. Sure. And trying not to let the jokes be the detriment of the story if you yes, know what I mean yes and when I say stories you know I'm talking like a three four minute thing I'm not out there t- spinning a yarn for 20 minutes mm, mm. yeah so but what is it that's what is it that's funny when what is it what's what's the thing when you go hang on I've got something here yeah what do you use to find more in it um, what, what's the if you're a moth what is that flame that you're going round do you know what I mean when we're all yeah. trying to get closer to that thing I'm not, I know I'm asking an impossible question it is um, I just never give up on it I just keep I just keep trying to find other things to add to it do you know what I mean and if it doesn't work just don't do it the next night do you know what I mean and if it kind of works then keep sort of do you know what I mean never uh, I can't so if I've got a joke that's funny, I'll just stick with that for a while and then I'll start going, oh, let's see if you can do that joke and then see if you can just do a bit of improv after it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And see if that can go anywhere. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Because by doing that, suddenly you've now got a five-minute routine as opposed to something that initially just started as a one-and-a-half-minute bit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and suddenly finding oh, shit, I can link that into that thought that I've never found a way to do. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, okay. And, and also the whole thing of uh, stringing lesser jokes into one bit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And their cumulative value creates... Do you know, you know, like, we've all got, like, one stray little fucking joke that is okay. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, he doesn't work by himself. But you lump him in with three or four other ones of his level... The cumulative effect yes. is... Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And the thing about improv bits is... 
you've got to try not to recreate the moment that happened the night before. Do you know what I mean? That's what I've Yes, thought. yes, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, you see a lot work. of people, that fake mistake thing. Yeah, the fake mistake thing's fine because, you know, that can, that can be a little joke in itself and if you improvise a joke, but I, I'm talking about like little beats, little moments that last night you've, it just came out. Yes. And then the next night, you're going, oh, yeah, remember to try and create that moment again. And you can't create that moment again. So you've got to let that fucking, let it go. Go somewhere else. You were saying before that you're in the middle of a, a sort of a, a change at the moment towards trying to get more meaning into your work. Uh, more meaning, but, um, yeah. Yeah, because since becoming a dad, a lot of things are starting to make me really fucking angry about the future that we're laying down um, and I'm becoming politically aware of shit but I'm not uh, intelligent enough to form a concise argument. all I've got is Putin's a dick mm-hmm. and I feel strongly about that mm-hmm. but I'm not at a point mentally that I can extrapolate that into a uh, a point of view that is interesting to people instead of a point of view that everyone's like yeah we all share that mate mm-hmm. do you know what I mean you're not giving us any insight so I'm, I'm battling with a bit of frustration about that because I can you know and also you fucking keep it funny you know do you know what I mean it's the, absolutely I don't think I've ever really been insightful and that is something that uh, I, I wouldn't mind being do you know what I mean I wouldn't mind fucking People to walk away going, that was really funny. And then having a discussion about something that I... Do you... It's interesting, man. I I know exactly what you mean. But then maybe I'm just clutching it at something that will never happen, and that's fine. As long as everything keeps being funny. Because I think that's the... And I fucking love being funny. You know, know, having an audience fucking laughing and stuff, it's just such a... It's an awesome high. And, uh, you know, if you need a small room to fucking laugh... You know, if you're doing your show to 10 people and they're laughing, then you're going to have fucking no dramas with 100 people. You know, it's just going to be... And it's when you can't play... When you can play 100, but you can't play 10. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And when you play 10, that's when you're... That's when a harsh spotlight is put on your Mm. material. You know, because that's when you're like, oh, is that actually funny? Because they're smiling. I want to just stay on the meaning thing for a minute, for a, a minute, which is a, a yeah. unit of time. I know that. Uh, <laughs> you don't spend a lot of time cudgeling your brains trying to write no. clever stuff. You get up no. there, you do what you're good at, you it, live it. It's the gut boom. thing. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a gut. I, I think... No, I know I'm a gut comic. Um, I'm, I'm doing... I'm writing... Uh, I've written a couple of scripts and stuff. I did a online series and wrote that and that was a that was a real challenge for me because I've never believed that I can do that mm. do you know what I mean I've never believed that uh, on paper I'm funny do you know what I mean I've always thought uh, you on felt stage, like oh, it's all very well being Mr. Saturday Night yeah yeah but actually how do you turn it into Has, something yeah can I can I paper? be yeah. funny on paper um, and, can, and could you uh, yeah, it was. I think it's pretty funny, um, and people who have watched it have been really positive. Uh, and you know, now I'm starting to take more writing 
opportunities because I think with the circuit compacting as it is, um, you know, the internet is a great way for comics to go because it's really suited to how we've done things. You, when you're an open micer, you create your own content and you're not getting paid for it. So when you're starting something up on yeah, the internet, right. sure. you're creating your own content and you're not getting paid for it. So we're already, we're already that's, we know that process. We know that process. Chuck shit out on YouTube, whatever, whatever medium you can find. And, and it doesn't have to be you fucking doing stand-up, does it? You know, funny's funny. Put it in another context or something like that. I, I, I totally agree with you. Whenever and it's I not that easy. That road, oh, it's not that I easy, though. I have a huge amount of fear because I'm like, I've been a live guy for 20 years. Mm. So what do I know about the, the unblinking eye of a camera? You know, what? I, I feel like I'm from a similar position to you. I'm a, I'm a live role, yeah, with, yeah. role with the audience kind of yeah. guy. So I find that very frightening to kind of go, oh, this thing, all, that, all those road miles we did, that's not so important now. Uh, I think it is. I think it is because it's still made you who you are and it's still giving you the angles you're taking when you're performing and the choices that you're making. Um, you know, doing, uh, doing comedies where there's no audience, do you know what I mean? And you've just got to be kind of relying on whatever innate ability and internal sense you've got. Sure, the people you're working with can be laughing and stuff, but there's always part of you thinking... Yeah, but is that because we're involved in it? Do you know what I mean? Is yeah. this going to be... Um, you know, and I've done studio sitcoms, and studio sitcoms... Uh, with the first, In 2009, I did a show called Persuasionists. I did the warm-up for several you of did. episodes. You did? That's with right. Some alone and some with Mr. Richard Sandling. As a yeah, that yeah. was weird that yeah. you did it together. But I found that a... Because I've done loads of warm-up. I've done acting. I've done stand-up. And I felt studio sitcom were all of those skills meeting do you know what I mean because absolutely um, absolutely because it's it's acting but there's a live audience live audience that, that you respond to and you I would interact with them in between scenes because yes, I, I remember yeah because my theory on it was if I can get them liking me before I say any of this dialogue totally then they'll like be with me chucking in some cheeky swears before a panel game record. yeah yeah of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. all that stuff um, and I did, uh, I just did another sitcom. Oh, the reason why I had to cancel oh, yeah. our original one of these. Um, Up the Woman, which is Jessica Hines. Yes, yes. Okay. Very, very good. Um, very, very good. Uh, and that was a great experience, you know, because you've got, you know, Jessica and the writers really good. And then you're working with, like, top-notch actors and then... I, well, the guy I was working with is a, he's a very good actor and he jokingly was kind of going you're one of the most unprofessional people <laughs> because I need uh, I need to be able to play before going into that sort of thing do you know what I mean so I'll be I'll be dicking around I'll be making sure that I'm not disrupting anything but you know like the sound guy standing there with holding the boom up like that and I'll just Sort of, because I need to relax before going into it. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to go in tense. So the way I can relax is by dicking around with someone. And uh, I did new tricks, and I didn't know anyone. Yeah. And uh, was feeling very tense, and I suddenly realised, oh, I've got to, I've got to dick around with someone here. Yeah. And the best people to dick around are the crew. They, you know, because they're fucking, they're doing their job, but 
They need to break up the fucking... That's what I think, anyway. Um, they probably just get annoyed by me. Um, but the, oh, your cockhead, Jared. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah, that one, yeah. Um, so the sound guy's standing there with his boom, and I just sort of walked up and stood in front of him and went, uh, can I get in for some of that? Yeah, for a hug there? That's what you're wanting, isn't it? You know what I mean? He's like, oh, fuck off, mate, fuck off. You know, and then you just give him a, a hug. He's like, fuck it. Who's this guy? Do you know what I mean? And then you're in. Yeah, And yeah. that allowed me then to take that relaxed sort of banter yeah. onto set. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And that's how I've realised I have to work. I can't, I can't just, because I'll be too tense going and, you know. Do you know what I mean? Are you going to do lots more acting stuff? I hope so. To? I yeah. hope so, because um, I, I really enjoy it. Um, and that's, that's been my sort of um, uh, goal is just, you know, if... I'm not going to immediately say no to opportunities. You know, I want to have a look at it, and if I think it's going to be fun, then I'm going to go for it. I kind of had an internal battle with when I got offered the Panto in 2012. Okay, which Panto did you do? Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. No, at, which whereabouts? Oh, New Wimbledon Theatre. Okay. Um, and it was a... I remember seeing... Were your, was your face oh, on billboards it was and stuff? Mate. It was everywhere. Yeah. I couldn't go to my local train station because yeah, it was all over. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing that and thinking, that is a fascinating choice. I well, mean, presumably there was a truck full of money and you were near your babies. Yes, there was that, you know, it was six weeks down the road from my house. Um, God, why would truck you Truckload of money. I've never done a panto before. Um, and, you know, I, when they offered it to me, I said to my wife, oh, I'm going to turn it down, I'm not doing panto. And uh, she said, are you kidding me? There's nothing wrong with doing panto. She said... And then she said, I saw Spike Milligan in a panto when I was a kid. I was like, really? She went, yeah. And so I was kind of like, oh, yeah, fuck it. All right, I'll give it a go. And, you know, I said, as long as I get to put my own mark on the script of mm-hmm. what I say, mm-hmm. then I'm up for it. And they, they were, yeah, they were up for it. So um, I wanted to see that. I'm sorry, I've got it. No, I didn't no, see no, it. Did it was, you enjoy it? Mate, it was an insane amount of fun. It was insane. Um... You know, that helped a lot that the cast were fantastic and the backstage crew were awesome. Um, Trigvi was uh, working backstage. That's no way! I, that's where I met him. No way. Um, so I'd just, we'd just stand in the wings having a fucking laugh and then you take that on stage. Do you know what I mean? You take that good time vibe on stage. But, you know, I, uh, so I was the henchman and... I set myself a time. We were doing two shows a day for six weeks. And I didn't want to get bored. Uh, so I set myself a challenge of every time the Queen called me on stage, I'd have to improvise a response to it. And she would call me on stage uh, five times in each show. Okay. Gotcha. So I'm trying to come up with ten things a day. Mm-hmm. Um all on a theme of, you know, she's the Wicked Queen, so she's got to be, you called my queen of something bad. You know, mm-hmm. like, you called my queen of warm lager. You mm-hmm. called my queen of train delays. You mm-hmm. know, whatever was happening in Wimbledon, like one day there was roadworks, you know, and it was all down to one lane, so you called my queen of roadworks. You know, it was all, it was shit like that. And I mean, it's not, I wasn't doing, wasn't anything amazing, um, every now and then it was, but it just meant that I couldn't phone it in. And that's my biggest fear is being on stage phoning it in. 
Were you saying earlier on that you you are doing lots of different things, but you're concerned that that means you're spreading yourself too thin in terms of generating a touring audience as a stand-up? Um, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I, I think um, sitcom... Like, when you're acting, I don't know if that directly brings people to your stand-up. Because sure. I think there's a bit of a... There's a bit yeah, of a separation Yeah, you need to there. get... If it's exactly the right thing, if it's Izzy Sutty in Peep Show... Yeah. You're brilliant stand-up, you do a part in which you're brilliant at being yeah, yeah. a version of yourself, and then people go... You know, you bill yourself as Izzy Sutty, Dobby from Peep Show. And yeah, people yeah. go, oh, that's that great comedy person. Yeah, yeah. That's very difficult to achieve. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, like, I look at Lee Mack. I think Lee Mack's superb and not going out's great. And it's, it's got, isn't it one of the most successful fucking sitcoms? Yeah. Or something, you know, it's huge. And I just kind of go, why is he not fucking doing ten nights at the O2? Because he's got millions of people watching his show. But that's where I start to think maybe there's a disconnect between... They see Lee Mack. he's touring, isn't he? Oh, of course, yeah. And he's fucking successful. Sure. You know? And he probably doesn't want to play arenas. He's probably keeping it real. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I just wonder if there's a disconnect between... Do you know what I mean? Like, we all know stand-ups who have been in movies and stuff like that, but don't pull a huge crowd. Absolutely, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Someone like uh, Smiley, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant actor. Oh, brilliant. and an incredible stand-up. I, yeah, a really great yeah, stand-up. I did work with him in Northern Ireland, and... Uh, Shit, that guy can weave shit, something out of nothing. <laughs> he really can, and he's a raconteur. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's what I want. That's what I want to be as a raconteur. You know, just be able to just fucking stand there and you've got a story on something. Story on something. Nick Wilty was is like that. Yes, yes, yes. Know? So, are you? What, what is the plan? Is it is the plan to go right? I'm going to just focus on the stand up stuff, yeah. or is the plan to? I'm going to keep focusing on the stand-up stuff, but you, you've got so many fingers in so many pies. It's like yeah. there's acting and, you know, yeah. you're, you're busy with lots of things. Yeah. Is that, a, is that a problem? Is that a challenge? Is there one uh, that you've got to stick to more than the others? Um, I have to stick to stand-up more than the others because that's my bread and butter and that's what I'm loving doing. Uh, but I'm going to take acting opportunities as they come and I'm uh, really starting to focus also on on writing and trying to get stuff away um, so has has having kids made you more focused on that stuff yeah especially when you know in the area I live in there's no decent high school so we're kind of going we love this area uh, we want to stay in this area but we don't want them to go to a shit high school so does that mean private school so that means uh, you know 15 grand a year where the fuck is that money going to come from? Do you know what I mean? So it's like, okay, it's time to start challenging yourself in other areas and uh, trying to work hard. And other things that can... Because the problem with stand-up is you have to earn money from it. You have to fucking be there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Unless you're getting a DVD out there that's selling loads and loads, but that's not really happening anymore, is it? Um, you know, if you go on tour, you have to fucking be there. That's the problem with, that's the only problem with stand-up. So if you can write something that can go off and generate money while you're in Newcastle, then isn't that great? And as long as it's creative... 
It's funny. It's still... whenever, whenever I think along these lines, I think, oh, I'm such an idiot. I'm such a short-sighted idiot. No. I to get out there and do the... No. And have the glory yeah. when I could have been focusing on writing a radio no. show or no, something. No, 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 no. I've gone through all that thinking, mate. I've gone through all that thinking, and you'll do it when the time is right for you. That's what I've... Because I look back on all the time that I just probably... You know, I lost all of 2005 to a computer game. Uh, Oblivion, fucking brilliant. Um, <laughs> but I look back on that and think, if I didn't play Oblivion, I would have gone to Edinburgh in 2005. Yeah. I think, sure, there was other reasons, and that's just a stupid one. But I always look back, and, but then if I'd gone in 2005, my show wouldn't have been as good as what it was in 2006. Because I was ready in 2006. Mm. I didn't know I was the whole time leading up to it, I was going, uh, 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 uh. but I think mentally when you start doing things is the fucking, it's never too late and it's always the perfect time is when you actually start doing it and you should never look back going, oh, I wish I'd done, started this ages ago. How because do you know I what? cultivate if you, that? If you did do that ages ago, it was probably going to be shit, mate. So Yeah, it's a lovely way know. to think. How can I, how can my listeners, how can I, ultimately is what I mean, how can right. I cultivate that? You know, that right. mentality, yeah, 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 yeah. or, you know, you miss an opportunity, and say, oh, yeah. well, it was never meant to happen, that sort of yeah. thing. You're like um, the opposite of that. How do you, you know... <laughs> you're, um, you're, it's great, man. You're so talented, you're so happy, you're so successful, well, and you're applying yourself to, to the next load of hard work, going, right, going to go and smash this. Very inspiring. Um, I think you have to, because if you don't... Uh, I had a very fucking tough year uh, last year, and uh, for part of 2012... Just career-wise and uh, frustration-wise. Um, and, you know, went through some very uh, horrible financial things that I won't go into, of course. Um, but it's... Uh, it Can really... you give us a little bit more than a tough year? I'm not asking you to no, talk no, no. about financial stuff. No, no, no. I'll absolutely give you... Or... Loads of things fell through last year. Okay, loads gotcha. of things that I had done... I think a very typical thing of comedians um, of... You know, there's work in the diary, and you spend the money before you get it. Gotcha. Um, and so, essentially, I I renovated my house, uh, which needed to be done, um, based on work that was going to come in and then fell through. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, like mass, like it was a fucking punch in the gut after a punch in the gut after a punch in the gut. And if I didn't have my family. I don't know what the fuck would have happened. Um, I was in a very, very bad place uh, mentally at the start of last year. Um, I was getting really bitter, really uh, frustrated and angry. About stand-up. About, about stand-up. And I started doing the thing that is the worst thing you can fucking do, which is looking at other people, other people. going... <laughs> I was, was going to guess that. Why the maybe. fuck? Why the fuck are they... Why the fuck? And, and it was a horrible, horrible place to be in. And uh, and then I came down to New Zealand and I had all of that fucking anger and baggage with me. But I had 10-day holiday at my parents' place in Australia in the middle of fucking nowhere. Um, and I didn't think about comedy for those 10 days. Do you know what I mean? And things started to get into perspective. And then suddenly when I hit New Zealand, it was a fucking... It was like I had a... You know, it was, I was resuscitated, I guess. Um, and I really, it was hard, man. It was hard to mentally 
focus on positives instead of negatives. And the way I've tried to do that is by not counting, by not focusing on what I term as big victories, but focusing on small victories and being happy with them. Because if you judge your life on the big moments being the best moments, then the rest of your life is going to be fucking depressing. But if you concentrate on the small victories all the way through, then your life's fucking great, man. Do you know what I mean? That It's not like an airy-fairy sort of... Do you know what I mean? It's like last night you said... Uh, was it last night or the night before? You said, um, I did the show to 15 people, but it's the best show I've done. Yeah. It's those things that you that you cling to and you hold on to and then the cumulative effect of them as well as keeping that positive outlook because everyone suffers. Everyone fucking suffers if you go bitter and twisted. We know comics who are like it. We know people, we know civilians who are like it. Um, and it affects everyone around them and it affects them and it affects what you do. And I think that is fucking hell. You don't want to go there. And if you do, you want to drag yourself out of there. Because I I was there for maybe three months. And I know people have gone through... Everything's relative to what you've been through. But for me, that was the hardest three months, comedy-wise, I've ever... Because suddenly I had to give a shit about how I'm going to look after my family and all that sort of thing. And that's a huge burden for someone who's essentially just dicking around. Do you know what I mean? So, um... And then it was just... I've got to... Um, I don't know where it's going, but uh, it. Go on. I just had to drag myself out of that place because otherwise I was just going to keep spiraling and spiraling, and I would stop being who I am essentially because I was giving in. I was giving in, and uh, I think in this career that we've all chosen because there's something about it that we fucking love. Uh, but there's something else about it and that's adversity and you're always banging your head against it always fighting against it but that makes you stronger do you know what I mean because if it was all just given to you it'd be, you'd be fucking lazy do you know what I mean we've got, we've got all our own mountains to climb and you just can't give up on climbing and we might be climbing our entire lives and you might climb and get to the peak and fucking hate it there do you know what I mean so you've just got to so once you get to that peak you've got to find another peak to climb and that's what that's like what Eddie Izzard does. Do you know what I mean? So fuck you. Why the fuck are you trying to do stand up in Russian, mate? You know you've nailed it in English. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, because I've done that. Now I need another peak to climb. And I think I've realised I'm the type of person that if I stop climbing, I start plummeting. And that's why I'm. I'll continue striving at stand up, but I'm going to start trying to strive at other other aspects of performance you know and see where it takes me you know I will have I would be more than happy to fucking write something that gets away and I'm not in it but I'm involved in the creative process that'll be really frustrating I mean I'm gonna lie to you what the fuck but if it's the difference between it getting made and it not getting made then I'll go for it getting fucking made do you know what I mean as long as I'm involved creatively with it so in a sense, what I'm saying is, uh, it's a fucking quote from some philosopher, I think Homer, to strive to seek to find and never to yield. And that quote, I fucking etched it in my 
in the back of my diary when I was working in a fucking call centre. Do you know what I mean? And every time I just go, ah, I don't want to be doing this. I'd flick that open and just fucking stare at it. And, you know, going, yeah, I'll do eight hours of this shit. And then I'm going to go to the fucking, uh, what was that? The Camden Head and do five minutes after ten people have also done five minutes. And that's going to be the best part of my fucking day. As soon as I step into that environment, there's people I like, people on the same wavelength as me, and then I'm going to do five minutes, and that's the best part of my fucking day. That'll yeah. do us. Thank you, mate. That's great. So thanks to Jared for that. To strive, to seek, to find, and never to yield. Very inspiring. Do me a favour and tweet me your favourite inspirational slogans at ComComPod. Let me know what phrases you use to get yourself out of bed and down the mine pit, coalface, cafe, gym. I don't know. Let me know. Let's share a few of those. Jared is, of course, at this year's Edinburgh Festival. Uh, I'm going to go and write my long list now on the coach on the way uh, back from Bristol to London of all the stuff I want to see. Um, Jared mentioned Trigvy there. Trigvy Wakenshaw, that is. Um, His Edinburgh show, Kraken, is going to blow everyone's heads off this year. So get in quick. Help make it a huge year for Trigvy. He absolutely deserves it. Everyone is going to be talking about that show. So get in at the ground floor. Go and see Trigvy Wakenshaw's show, Kraken. And, of course, my show, Extra Life, at the Pleasance Attic uh, at 7pm every night in the courtyard. Uh, And, of course, Jared's show. So uh, go and see all of that stuff. But remember, if you didn't hear it anywhere else, you heard it here first. Trig V, uh, I saw him do 15 minutes in New Zealand, blew me away. This episode was co-produced by Nathan Wood. And next week we have Adrian Truscott, a blinding episode. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, That's all for now. I've been Stuart Goldsmith. I'll speak to you very soon. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.